This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Thank you so much. Good evening, guys. Don't see doing men's of an aunt cry. I mean, it was Shofar Stalin Bosnian, Mike. Vinny, come on, Yella. Can I say big eight cry? Awesome. Seriously. Hello, Yella. Yes, thank you. This is better. I could I could sick the old dog. So I could quote big energy, thank you. So the claim begin. That's okay. Um so I'm excited to share with you guys this evening and see us. Thank you so much. This has been such a fun time together. And um, our lives are changed, honestly. I feel we come here and we get so blessed every time. Um, in our community, people kind of fight to get to come to Stellenbosch. All right, because we can't have everybody come because we still have things to do. And it was one of my hardest things is to decide who can come with us because everybody loves it so much here. And again, it's actually not just about the mountains at all. People really like you guys. You guys are quite likable. And um, your, your hunger for God is ex- extremely inspiring. There's something of your hunger that does carry over. And I want to encourage all of you, fight with everything in you to keep that hunger. To not substitute it for the wisdom of man. If the enemy gets you to stop being hungry for Jesus, um, he doesn't have to do much more. He's one. Okay, so I'm going to pray, and um, you're all going to extend your hands, please. I need your prayer as well, and then we're going to jump in. If I just walk down, I'll come back, don't worry. (laughs) I'm pretty serious. (laughs) Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for this evening. Thank you for the privilege to share your word. Lord, I thank you for my friends. Thank you for the faithfulness of this community. It's such an honor to be with my friends and enjoy you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I quickly see, who was here last night? Can I just see a raise of hands? Sure, ne? Yo, last night was something else. That was awesome. I had such a good time. I literally laid in bed and I was like, I, I want to go run up a mountain. <laughs> Not about the running joke, but <laughs> I almost stepped into it again. Um, but it was just so much life. And I think that um, I don't know if you guys had the same experience. It was like life in the room. It was like, it's like an, a well got unplugged. And um, I, I, I'm going to share a prophetic word that I just kind of feel, and some of you might respond, and then I'm going to talk about um, resurrection life, which is funny because um, I was, I, I, I was going to talk about the Great Commission. And um, I, every time before I preach, I always ask God, God, is there maybe something else you want to do? And um, he said, yes, why don't you talk about resurrection life? And then Sias comes up and talks about Lazarus and Jesus opening up the tomb. And I'm like, you can literally ask Tosca. I'm like texting her. I was like, sorry, we're going in a way different direction. And I just started texting her all these verses. Like, we need to go to these verses. And then Sias spoke on resurrection life. It's not usually this easy. This is a good sign. (laughs) Um, But... I, I feel, before I start with this, I want to say this, um, in worship, God spoke to me about um, the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and Jesus rebuking the disciples, saying, be careful. And it wasn't an angry rebuke, it was, he, was, he was saying to them, be careful of the, 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 their leaven. And they thought it was about the bread, this is in Matthew 16, 17, or 16, 6. 
And um, he said, be careful for this because, um, and then he leaves it and they're like, oh, it's about the food. And he's like, it's not about the food, guys. He just saw me feed 5,000. Calm down. Right? And he says, it's about their teaching. And so I quickly want to talk about what those two different people taught for like 10 seconds. And then if you have been struggling in that area, I feel God wants to deliver you. Okay, so the Pharisees, we all know them, they were um, primarily their teaching was zeal-based salvation. Okay, so <laughs> they, uh, you need to listen. Okay, this is important. Um, they get their idea, we say you are saved by faith through grace, right? That's the Christian way of salvation, right? And then you look at Paul, and you go like, why would Paul, that serves Yahweh, that serves the God of the Bible, why would he think it's God's desire for him to murder Christians and put them in prison? Paul says, I was a Jew among Jews. There is no other Pharisee that lived with us much zeal as he did. So where did he get it from? It has to come from somewhere. Has anybody ever thought about that? No? Okay, I've thought about that. It really frustrated me. I was kind of like irritated by it because I'm like, how does he get that? If he, he boasts in how godly he was according to the Pharisaic way. And where he gets it is in, in the Old Testament, there's, this named, there's a man named Phineas. And what happened is the Israelites, God was judging Israel because they slept with um, people from other tribes. And this, um, there was a, a, a Jewish man sleeping with an Amorite woman. And um, they were, offered their children on fire. They were like just an extremely demonic culture. And Phineas saw this man commit adultery, right? And he took a spear and he impaled him, right? And God stopped his judgment and the verse said, and Phineas was saved by his zeal. And so the Pharisees took that verse and it made it the cornerstone of their theology, that their zeal will lead them to salvation. And so they would persecute anybody that does not live as strictly according to the Jewish law as them, because they didn't want God's judgment to come on the people of Israel again. So the Pharisaic way of thinking is a very harsh judgmentalism and perfection when it comes to the law. Now, what did God handle last night? That. Right? That's what he went after last night, was that le legitimate thing. Right? And that's why there was life, right? Because faith brought life. It was not our zeal. Zeal comes from our faith. And then the Sadducees was the other group, and they were equally as radical, but they had one major difference. They um, did not believe in the resurrection of the dead or in angels and demons. So they were like cessationists, which means they believed that all the same things in the Torah and everything, but they did not at all believe in the power of God. And so what I want to put here today is, if there's any of you here, that has somewhere stepped into the hole of the YouTube never-ending um, black hole of why this person is a heretic, why this is um, healing is not of God, why praying in tongues is not of God, the whole sensationist, I'm going to name a name, I know, uh, I'm not going to name a name, I'm going to name a name, um, the whole John MacArthur, right, this is actually demonic if you believe in this. Right? If any of you, the American gospel is another one of those demonic things that's been sent around. If any of you feel that you've been 
lured by that thing of resisting it because of teaching you've heard the things of the Spirit. Right? I want to pray, and after I've prayed, I just want you to raise your hand. I'm actually not going to ask you to come to the front. I just want to pray that God will break that off. Because here's what happens. He gets us in two ways. Way number one he gets us is by trying to work for our own salvation. Way number two that he gets us is to denounce the power that made it possible for us to walk in the way he's called us to walk. Right? And that's actually a very big assignment I've seen, and it's going to sound funny, especially in shofar churches, the enemy come with the second thing. He tries to come against it, right? Do you know why? It's because it's working what you're doing. So he needs to figure out how to sow discord, has to figure out how to sow disunity, right? And it's either overzealousness, which is pride, or on the other side, it's actually a legalistic, anti-charismatic attitude that we are just kind of charismatic, but the moment I can't control God, it's not God. And I don't play that game. You should ask Jan here in front, how does it feel if you encounter God? He'll tell you, you can't control anything. You're not the boss. Okay. So I'll pray and then we quickly going to respond. Lord, we love you. I ask, Father, that if there's any lie of the enemy about the ceasing of the gifts, about praying in tongues, about, oh, this cannot be this way. Order used to look like this. It should be this. And there is a, an almost judgmentalism that's trying to creep in a lie from the enemy. God, I pray that you will just reveal that lie right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we say no to that. And we say not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit. This movement will be built by your spirit. It will not be built by man's intellectual proudness, God. It will not be built by our ability to run systems. It will be built by your spirit. And Father, I ask that you would reveal that lie right now in Jesus' name. So I want to ask, if that is you, can you just raise your hand quickly? Right? Awesome. Okay. There's a few. Just full Adam. They can't see. Okay. Great. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay, great. I want to pray for the seven. If you just quickly, can you put your hand on your heart? Right? We're just going to pray. This is good. Okay. God is wanting to do something. Lord, I thank you right now in Jesus' name. You break off any lie. Lord, that you will come and reveal in Jesus' name. You'll come and reveal your truth. Lord, thank you that, as Haney said, Lord, we do not correct an abuse with no use. We correct an abuse with the right use. Lord, and I ask if there was any abuse that they've seen that's hurt them, I pray that you would reveal the right use. To reveal the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Come on, guys. It's good. Okay. Hallelujah. Be careful. Be careful what you allow in. If you're a small group leader, don't just show people every video you see. Okay. I'm not afraid of like people getting deceived, but I, I do realize that most of you did not read the Bible every day this week. Probably. Statistically speaking, I'm not saying you're bad. I'm just saying statistically in the world, it will be strange if you do that. I believe you do, but it also means that you probably watch more YouTube videos than you read the Bible. Okay, and then when, when we are in a culture where that is so normal, we do not have the self-discipline to regulate what I'm looking at. And you do not understand or realize that what you're looking at forms you the whole time. You will become what you behold. 
So, Ephesians 1. You guys ready? So it's Ephesians 1. Um, the, yes, that one there. Awesome. Having the eyes of our hearts enlightened that you might know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? Hallelujah. It just lifted. I feel wonderful. Praise God. Yes. Honestly, I feel great. Thank you. I felt so bad for the last 12 hours. I feel great right now. <laughs> and Okay, so, so let's, yes, hallelujah. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints? That's, that's you and me. And what is the immeasurably greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now, that's a big word, immeasurable greatness of his power, right? How, how much is immeasurable? It's immeasurable. You can't measure how much power there is, right? Towards us, right? Say us, okay, who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, and here's what I want to say. In, I'm going to highlight immeasurably great power, and then he does define it, right? He doesn't tell you how much power it was. It's without measure, but he does tell you so that you can have some concept how strong that power was. And Paul here writes, and he says, this power that works in you, in me, right, is the same power that woke Christ, that woke Christ up from the dead. Now, that is a big deal, okay? And if you don't understand why this is a big deal, you'll always think that the enemy can kind of just push you around, not realizing that there is an immeasurably great power within you. That what God has placed in you as a born-again Christian is extremely dangerous to the work of the enemy, and that's why he wants to keep you to believe that you do not have enough to overcome the evil one. So what I'm going to do this evening for the next 23 minutes is um, I'm going to try to unpack quickly what is that power that raised Jesus from the dead. So let's quickly look at Matthew 27, I think, is it right? No, 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 Matthew 17. It's the one I gave you, just the Matthew one about the seal. Go to that one, there it is. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, this is Jesus, right? Um, after he was crucified, the chief priests um, and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how the imposer said, speaking of Jesus, while he was still alive, three days after I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go and make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now why do I read this? I read this because for us to understand the immeasurably great power that works in us, we need to understand how powerful was the power that raised Christ from the dead. And the first thing that was stacked against the cross was the authority of Rome. 
They went and they put soldiers in front of the cross, uh, in front of the tomb. Sorry, not the cross. In front of the tomb. And then they sealed the tomb with a seal that marked it that says, if you unlock this tomb, you will have the fury of Rome. You will have the judgment of this earth's most powerful power structure will be upon you. First thing, stacked against the cross. Second thing, go to Second Peter. It's stacked against the cross. Or First Peter, sorry. It's First Peter 2. Is Peter not? Okay, I'll read it for us. Don't worry, I got it here. It's not an issue. You guys have crushed it. This is my fault. I changed it. First Peter 2 to 24 to 25 says this. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. I want to read the beginning again. He himself bore our sins in his body. Right? What does that mean? It means that Jesus took upon himself all the sins of the world. All the sins that they have committed and all of the billions, quadrillions, billion to a billionth measure of sins Jesus took upon himself. So now not only stacked in front of the, in front of the tomb is the authority of Rome, the world system keeping Jesus closed, also stacked in front of the tomb, pushing that he would stay dead is the judgment of all of humanity's sin stacked against that tomb. So see the picture in your head. Not only is it Rome's authority, but it is all of our sins are pushing against that door that it will not open on the third day. You should stay dead, Jesus, because Rome says so, and because all of their sin says so. In the third part, Colossians. Good job. Having been buried with him in baptism, so I should get baptized, doesn't say sprinkling, in which you were also raised with him through faith. Sorry. Can I say that, yes? Okay. <laughs> in which you also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Do you see that? He uses the same language again, Paul. Okay, he says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Again, there is a powerful working happening in us as believers. And the whole time Paul likens our power that's working in us with the power that raised Christ from the dead. He goes on, he says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, that's good news, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now that's just reason to burst out in worship right now. Right, that's what we said yesterday. There is no accusation standing against us anymore. Now, when I come back one day, again, we can talk about eternal rewards, and then you will put all of that in perspective, okay? But we don't have time. Um, 
And he says, okay, so he canceled all the legal demands and then goes on. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them in shame by triumphing over them in him. So there's something that happens. The rulers and authorities, that, 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 that didn't speak about Pilate. That wasn't talking about Herod. That was talking about the demonic forces of this world, right? Jesus, in going down into the grave, dying a death of a sinner while yet he was perfect was him saying to all of the demonic forces on the earth i'm going to shame you by what i'm about to do so here's the picture i want you to see right here's the big tomb right here ginormous stone right in front of the tomb then the the power structure man's best efforts right comes and it seals that tomb and it puts guards there then the sin of man, which the penalty of sin is death, Jesus took all of our penalty. So think about the large amount of death that Jesus swallowed by his life. Is every human being who has ever lived, every one of their sins is one death sentence. How many death sentences did stack against Jesus? Billions upon billions upon trillions of death sentences. And so that's against the tomb. And then not only that, every single demonic force, every demon and Satan that's in hell knew if he stands up, they have lost. And so on that third day, it's man's authority, it is our sin that's upon him, and it's all of the raging of hell is standing against that tomb. And on the third day, Jesus rises from the dead. And do you know what? I bet you he, just, he did this. Do you know that it says that he will defeat the Antichrist by the breath of his mouth? Do you know there's not a war? Remember, he thought about matter. If he goes like, you do not exist, you will disappear. And all of that impossibility is stacking against Jesus and he overcomes death. He overcomes sin. He overcomes the power of this world. He overcomes the darkness and he triumphs over them. And then Paul says that same power lives in you. That the power of this world cannot overthrow you. The world calling you not good enough, the seal they put upon your death, that power breaks free from that brand that the world gave you. The sin that's in your life, the place where you fall short, where you cannot overcome, where you're struggling, that power in you overcomes that sin and brokenness. That demonic stronghold, the torment, the place of warfare, the sickness of the whole day cannot stand against that power that rages within me. What did you do to get that power? Zero. Now I want to put a quick Bible verse. will help you to understand it better now. Have you read the verse that says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? It doesn't talk about fear and tremble that you'll miss your salvation. It talks about take a shovel and dig out the gold that you've been deposited to. 
When it says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, it says within you has been deposited all of this power. Work out what's been given to you. Don't just keep it there for yourself. Work it out. Partner with the Spirit of God. Make every effort. Spoke last time about this, Second Peter. Right? Make every effort to add to your faith, godliness, or virtue, to your virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, godliness, to godliness, brotherly affection, to brotherly affection, love. Why? So that you will not be unfruitful in the knowledge of Him. Again, it's the outworking of this power. Now, why am I saying this to you guys at the end of the Jesus week? I'm saying this to you because you're not going to have worship nights every night this week. Unless you do it in your hostel room with a few friends, there is an immeasurably great power within you. And I feel like this evening, what I want to share with you guys is, is that you're not a pushover. You cannot be one. If you stay submitted to Jesus, the enemy cannot defeat you. He can kill you. That's fine. You're with Jesus. If he doesn't, you've heard me say this, then we plunder hell. The only thing that he can do is he can lie to you long enough and that his voice will become so familiar that you give up your birthright so that he can shame you instead of you shaming him. The war of Christianity is not to try harder, it's to see clearer. It's not to try harder. Will you have to try hard? Of course you would have to try hard. But it is not primarily trying hard. It's primarily seeing clear. Because the moment that you see who you truly are, the lie of the enemy actually falls off naturally. I remember when I got saved, um, I used to cuss a lot before I knew Jesus. I used to like make up my own cuss words. <laughs> no, really, I'm not joking. I'm actually serious. It's horrible if I think about it now. Um, and I got born again, and I didn't cuss, didn't cuss for a while, and then we had a curry cup off-season training. And um, we have these like blue shield bags, and I was like the dummy runner, and the guy was passing behind me. And so I'm not expecting because nobody's tackling me, right? So you're kind of lost. You're not running hard. But the guy blindsided me like it was really hard. And I cussed like crazy. I'm saved like a week. And I was so upset that I cussed. And that's the last time that I cussed. Nine years ago. Now, I didn't try to stop. I can't really explain how it happened. Right? I said that to our, I spoke to our team about this as well. I was like, I remember so upset. I went into the bathroom. I was like, God, I never, I hate this. I'm not this. And it just, done. It's just, it was finished. And so many times we're trying to beat a, like a dead horse. You're trying to tell your dead flesh to die. And it's like, I am dead. Like, stop telling me to die. You're looking at me the whole time. That's where we're becoming like the dead thing again. Like you're gazing upon the death that you have given up instead of about gazing on Jesus and working out your salvation. What's happening is like, I don't want to sin, I don't want to sin, I don't want to sin. So you look at sin more than you're looking at Jesus and that's why you're doing it the whole time. 
And I just feel this evening that God wants to break people free from the bondage of feeling that you're always just making it. The picture that I keep seeing as I prepared for tonight was people standing on their toes with the water here and your nose is just above water. And you feel that that has been your Christian walk. That you've never been at a place of victory. You've never known the confidence of kicking open that dead grave. You've probably heard me say this, but just because she has shared it, I'll share it again. Is you need to understand that Jesus had to clarify who needs to come forth when he says, Lazarus, come forth. If he spoke into the realm of death and said, come forth, and he did not clarify who, every dead human being on this earth would have risen from the dead. Like, I'm, I'm actually really serious when I say that. Right? We're in a, we're in a linear, linear worldview that believes there's an end to something. Right? You're only that powerful. You only have that much money. You only have that much this. You only have that much that. God has unlimited everything. Unlimited. And when we negate or when we minimize God to our level of power, we will only have a God that can fix things that we can. There's a reason that David could write, mountains melt like wax before the Lord. Before the Lord of all the earth, it sees and trembles at his glory. There's a reason that David's God melts mountains. It's because I think of Psalm 28, he says, you ride on the wings of the wind and smoke a nostril, of smoke and fire comes from your nostrils. And the very foundations of the earth shakes as you ride upon the seraphim to come down to earth. He had such a ginormous view of God. Right, so that when he looked at mountains, he said, my view of God is so great that this mountain will max before the Lord. But when our view of God looks like Gabriel or like Sias or Todd White or Bill Johnson, right, whatever you think that they cannot overcome, you will not be able to overcome. Because you have minimized your projected image of God to something that your finite mind can understand and that's why you're struggling where you are because you did not give yourself to the true image of God. Now, it takes spirit revelation to break us free from the confinements of our human limitations of who God is. That's why I'm trying to explain to you something actually very um, difficult when it says it is a power that goes beyond all powers, incomprehensibly great. It's hard to explain this, but I believe as a church, if we do not make the effort to somehow get language around the greatness of God and make sure that it's greater than anything around us, we would only get stuck in the same things the generations before us got stuck in. A.W. Tozer says the most important thought about somebody is what? The first thought that comes to their mind when they hear the word God. No person has ever lived beyond their idea of God. And no civilization has gone beyond how big they believe their God is. We need to trust God to reveal to us his greatness. So that we might know 
what he has placed within us so that we might know how to be ourselves. I believe this evening, and I will end with this, then we're going to have some ministry time. God wants to release a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. I spoke to Francis a while ago, Francis Chan, he's awesome, and um, I asked him how does he prep to preach, okay, and uh, it's really interesting, I was pretty angry with his answer, because <laughs> I want to say that, but I can't, he said, I've, I've preached through every single verse in the Bible, at least once, at least once, every verse, not every chapter, every verse, and he says, for me to have done that, I had to do the exegetical study work of every single verse in the Bible at least once. What does exegesis mean? It means that you, you look at what the Bible says for itself and what it means, right? You don't just immediately go like, Paul, an apostle of Christ, up, that means all of us has to be apostles. No, you're, you're looking at why would he have said that to the church of Ephesus. You're doing all the hard, nerdy work behind the scenes. And then Francis said the following. He said, I've done that for the last 20-some years. So there's no verse in the Bible. If God says to me, Ephesians 4.12, I can flip to Ephesians 4.12, and the depth of the knowledge of God that he has received in his years of study means he can preach a whole sermon immediately. I've never seen him have notes with him, ever, when he preaches. But you know you do not get that overnight, right? It takes you 20 years, 30 years. Ask Guinness, who's ever heard of him? An amazing apologist. He's actually hilarious. He was at, at Poch, and he, he's, he's a British guy. He's super funny, okay? And um, he, he, he was not famous at all, um, and I once heard him say to somebody that everybody wants to do apologetics like I do, but they don't want to spend 30 years behind a closed door and read the books that I did. Nobody knew my name for 30 years. I was ridiculed, but I searched the knowledge of God. And then when the time came, he had something to offer a generation. And my invitation to us is the following. As a movement, I don't call you a church anymore. I decided that the other day. You're not a church anymore, you're a movement. As a movement, will some of you give yourself to the knowledge of God? That's my challenge. Would some of you give yourself to digging out the depths of who he is and not take the bumper sticker answer. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.